Welcome to the Happiness Playbook, a podcast where we explore the why and how of happiness. I'm your host, Neil Hooper, and I just wanted to remind you that life is a team sport, so let's play together. We have a very special guest on our show today. On today's show, we're going to go deep on how to apply play theory in relationships and processing trauma. And we have a licensed therapist today, Jennifer Lair. Jennifer specializes in educating couples on the relationship skills they need to build a solid, connected, and loving partnership. She has had advanced training in many couples modalities and uses her knowledge to help others. Jennifer has been helping couples for nearly 20 years. She is a regular contributor to her three blogs, which are designed to help people improve their lives and relationships. And those are Healing Tips blog, We Consiles blog, and Jennifer's blog, as well as other media. Jennifer Lair also writes and talks about her journey from a difficult relational beginning to creating a beautiful relationship with her husband. And I'm not sure what was going on with the audio when we recorded this on our platform, but it took a hit. So uh, forgive me for the audio quality, and we're just going to let go of that and play with it and roll with it and accept and build on that. But really excited for you to listen to this episode. And with that, let's roll right into the conversation. I am very excited to introduce you to our guest today. Jennifer Lair has many qualifications, as you heard in her bio, but really she is on a mission and we totally agree with the mission she is on. Let me pull up your one pager here. I love this. It says, Jennifer Lair is on a mission to create a world filled with connection instead of conflict. That is awesome. And something here at the Happiness Playbook we are very passionate about. I think everyone these days could use a little more connection and less conflict. So we're very excited that Jennifer is joining us today to help us learn how to do that. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) I just want to dive in here because you have a lot of value to add. And I'm excited for our audience to learn more about you and and what your message is and some of the principles that you teach others. So maybe a great place to start is just with a little background. So what's your story, Jennifer? Oh, I have a long story. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my story is I grew up in a family that was, had a lot of conflict, a lot of anger and bad communication and connection skills. So I went out into the world not very developed in those areas. And through the course of my life and relationships, I started working on all that because I wanted a good life and it wasn't going to happen <laughs> the way the way I came out. So I eventually became a therapist and did a lot of my own personal work as well as worked with people, a lot of trainings. And then I also decided that, realized that couples needed a lot more resources than they have. And I started, I created an educational system for couples called Weconcile, which we're now currently turning into an app. Wow. So, yeah. That's a short version of the story. That That's awesome though. It, it's so interesting because we all, if we look deep enough, 
we all have baggage, right? And I love that you bring that up. And also that there's hope for us to get tools to overcome that, that natural tendency, I think, to to fall back on the conflict, right? Which is something we're really good at. I'm just curious, and I'm kind of coming out of left field here with this question, but you've had 20 years of therapy and you have seen a lot of people, you're on the front lines for this uh, battle for emotional well-being and mental health. And I'm sure you have so many stories, but I'm just curious, what are some of the most common forms of baggage that people are bringing in to their lives in relationships? What are the biggest perpetrators? People have wounds. We all have wounds, places where we didn't get what we needed. And so we come into a relationship with another wounded person and we don't understand each other's wounds. We're usually hungry for connection, but we don't know what to do when there's a conflict or a disagreement or we come at things from different angles. Because we're hungry and we don't know, we often don't have the space for the other person to really listen to what's going on for them because of our own, we're filled up with our own stuff. Wow. That is such a good way to put it. Wounds. I, I love that visual because I think that is a great way to view it is that the person is hurting when someone's acting out or in even acting out in an inappropriate way or a malicious way. It's because they're hurting. And I think that's a great perspective to take going into that. So there's a lot of tie-in to the play theory principles that we talk about and your message. And we'll kind of sprinkle those throughout. But you have a, a great message and kind of framework around attachment theory. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just want you to dive into that and help us understand a little bit more about attachment theory and really the process and system you use there. Okay, so there's attachment theory and then there's attachment types, but we're gonna talk about attachment theory. The types are, you can Google attachment types and you get avoidant. There's like main disorganized, secure, anxious. But we're gonna talk about attachment theory and attachment theory is the mammalian need to connect. So mammals need to connect. And that mm-hmm. means, translate it into human terms, am I important to you? Am I valuable to you? Do you care about how I feel? Am I safe with you? Am I enough for you? The deep feeling level of what we need, is my partner accessible, interested, curious? So it's about the deep emotional need, the human. And attachment means that we feel safe. If we're sec- we wanna be safe and secure in our relationships and that's what secure attachment is. Okay. That's, and that's helpful to understand because in any relationship, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but that could be in a, a marriage. Could that also apply to a parent-child relationship? Is that any relationship? All close relationships that re- that have vulnerability and intimacy, vulnerability, that kind of uh, thing. Yeah. Awesome. 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 So- Those are, and and remind me again, what are the things we need to have that attachment within the relationship? Again, it's safety. Well, there's a whole, we want to feel safe. We want to know we're important. We want to know we're valued. We want to know that we're enough. There's a, it's, the list could go on, but those are primary. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And we're huge here at the Happiness Playbook about a principle, which is look outward. 
and everything you're saying there, it's really easy to not feel those things in relationship when we're looking inward and we're thinking of our needs. And it's always, you got to mention the caveat that you're only able to serve to the degree that you have engaged in self-care and maintain your own well-being. But really it's that looking outward and in those intimate relationships, creating that helping people answer that question affirmatively. I do feel safe. I do feel needed. I do feel important. So what are so let's dive a little deeper there. And how when you see a couple or, or any two people, right? Their their relationship is just in the the dumps. And how do you help them work through that and go from not having those things to feeling that connection and attachment? every therapist would work somewhat differently. And it also depends on what your training is, what modality you're sort of drawing on. But you want to get the the couple to first identify how they keep getting stuck. So when you, when your tone got sharp with me, I left the house and slammed the door and then you cried and then I got mad and yelled. In other words, what's actually happening? What are the behaviors? So you want to identify that because People have to take responsibility for what they're doing because you can't create safety with that kind of behavior going on. And you have to create safety to get down into the deep, vulnerable feelings. And that is when you had that tone, it reminded me of how my mother used to talk to me and that made me bristle and I... I'm, made me feel like I wasn't important. So you have to get into the story and into the deep feelings and you can't communicate that with bad behavior going on. Okay. This is so good because you have to let go, right? Of, of the bad behavior. You have to let go of those disruptive emotions just long enough to then get present, right? Is that, am I hearing you correctly? Because you have to play that observational role and kind of process what's going on and what the causes are for those emotions. Is that fair to say? Yes. So present, being present, moment to moment awareness is very important because you have to be in your body and in yourself to really even be able to connect with the deeper emotional feelings. And you also have to be clear in order to say, oh, I did this and that wasn't okay. I did that and it wasn't okay. So if you're not present, you tend to be spinning. You could be caught in, you're not, you could be in the past spinning, you could be, but you're spinning more with anxiety or something's going on that's keeping you out of right here, right now, what's going on. And I can think of an example. I can think of a couple I worked with and the, the woman in the couple was just furious with her partner for good reason, but she was furious. And so she was coming at him like a train but she wasn't aware of herself. She didn't even see that she was pushing her, him away with her velocity of anger. And so she had to be, or I had to stop her, slow her down, get her to breathe and get her to identify, I know you're really angry, but what's going on? And underneath was this horrible feeling that he didn't care about her. And that's what was driving the behavior. But she had to be put into the pres- helped into the present moment so she could connect with that. Oh, that's so good and really hard to do. And so you mentioned a few things just now. Deep breaths obviously are helpful. What other approaches or tactics do you teach people to get present so that they can play that observational role? Well, we can sell, I use what's called the lenses. 
So there's a body awareness lens, a thinking lens, a feeling lens, a sensation image lens. There's 12 lenses and these are portals into experience. So I'll give you an example. I've talked about this before about my husband and we were in some kind of disagreement and I asked him, what is going on for you right now? And he said, my stomach feels really tight and cold. And I said, oh, what's that about? What does that remind you of? And he said, that reminds me when I was a little kid and my dad was having a temper tantrum. I said, oh, so that, that moment of tuning into the body opened up a story that informed him and me of how he was being impacted by our disagreement, so which was useful. I've read, and my wife actually has finished the book, but it's called The Body Keeps the Score. And yeah, I've heard, I haven't read it. I've heard it of it, though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think the concept, again, I, I it didn't get very far into it, but is that you can actually tap into and understand traumas or things from your past and how they've affected you, but you can actually feel those or identify those based on how it's manifest, even physically in your body. And so like the, the story you mentioned there, is there any thoughts to that? Have you found that to be true? Oh yeah, the body, it's all in the body because we're a physiological being and all our experiences are stored in the body and in how we're wired. So here's another example. So I'm thinking of a person who uh, goes into an altered state when due to trauma and you can use EMDR, eye movement desensitization, which is a, a form of therapy where you start working with either a light or a pattern going back and forth and you start integrating the memory from one side of the brain into both sides of the brain. And that enables the body to metabolize. And that's one way. There's other ways to metabolize trauma. It's one way the body can start metabolizing trauma instead of having it be caught somewhere where you have no control over it. it and it just sort of jumps out and grabs your psyche and uh, causes you to behave in ways that are destructive. Wow. That is kind of the first step in play theory with the four principles are actually in order. And we start with be present because if you're not present, it's kind of a non-starter and it's hard to really accept and build, let go and play and look outward if you're not present. And if you're just distracted and giving into all these emotions. And so I love, it sounds similar that that's the first step is let's get present. Let's observe and yeah. learn. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah. Now you have what you call the relationship roadmap. And I would love for you to share a little bit more about what that is and, and the approach you take. If you're a couple and you want to sort of start harmonizing better together, <laughs> that sort of rhymed. You want to, so the first step would be, or the first question I would have is, have you talked about your goals what is each of your purposes and do your purpose, do you have a, a purpose for your relationship? Like if somebody wants to travel and the other person wants to live in a little house with a fence or a yard, those two goals in life might not fit together. So the first step is who are we together? Sometimes couples get together and they don't even go there. They just get together and they're married and all of a sudden they find out that one person wants to go to grad school and the other person wants that person to make money so that they can buy a new new thing. So, so that's the first step. Have you talked about your dreams, your goals, and are you on the same page? The second step is what we already talked about. When you get into a fight, what is your pattern, each of your patterns, and start deconstructing that. 
oh, you did that when I did that, then I did that. And that means you're also becoming a team against the pattern, which is called externalizing the problem. Instead of you getting caught in the problem and you're bad, I'm bad, and you're, you're pointing f- fingers at each other, you go, oh, the pattern is the problem and we have to break it. So that's step mm. two. And that's not easy to do because we tend to blame. Well, and that's really hard because we're so used to pitting ourselves against each other. But what you're really doing is letting go of that perspective and that that angle. I had a mentor, so I'm kind of jumping around here, but he had a disagreement. He had a disagreement with his wife and they were sitting across from each other on a table and they were having this disagreement. And I'll never forget, he said, after a while, it was not yielding any fruit. It was not being very effective. And so he wrote the problem on a piece of paper, put it on the table, and then went on and sat next to her. And so that we're looking at the problem. So I think that's a great visual of right. exactly yeah. what you're sharing. Right, so, externalizing. So then the third step is getting into attachment language. Now we touched on this. Attachment language isn't, I'm so mad at you that you forgot my birth, that you went to your mother's house when it was my birthday, <laughs> whatever, some issue. Attachment language is... When you forgot my birthday, it made me feel like you didn't value me and it really hurt me and I love you. So I need you to value me and not forget my birthday. So it's getting down into what's really going on. So you have to develop an ability to talk about your attachment needs and your attachment fears. I'm afraid, blah, blah, blah. But And I need to know that you will consider what I want too. I need to know that what I want is important to you. I'm afraid you'll forget me. I'm afraid I'm not good enough. I'm afraid you don't value me. I need you to do these things. So you have to start developing language because when you're in a disagreement of some kind, there's almost always a level of attachment language that could be spoken that would help the people connect better and understand each other better. So that would be step three. Awesome. Yeah. And what role does validation play in step three? It's really important to to listen and tend means you're actually, you're helping the person express themselves. You're curious. You want to hear what they have to say. You're not like, okay, let's just move on. I got things to say too. You're like, wait, (laughs) I want to understand you. Let me give, allow me the privilege of stepping into your world. Yes. So that's that's really important to be able to do that. That's great. And that ties in perfectly to accept and build, which is uh, another way people say that one in the improv community is yes and, right? But you're taking, it sounds like, you're taking where they are and you're not just validating and accepting them, you're building on it and you're helping them feel comfortable to extract more. So. Right, exactly. And there's specific steps that, that you can learn in order to do that. But that's what you're doing. You're reassuring them. You're uh, often repeating, you're asking, clarifying questions, all of that to help them elicit, to help elicit the larger worry and response. Yeah. Wow. I love that. I love step three. That's a great one. <laughs> and then step four is what I talked about the lenses. It is getting into understanding uh, moment to moment your experience. So let's suppose there's a couple and one of the, let's say the woman, cause I'll go stereotypical says, well, what are you feeling Neil? And Neil says, I don't know. 
And so you have to help the person into the feeling. And the way you do that is through the lenses. What are your thoughts doing? What are your emotions? What is your body doing? What's happening? Is your where is your heart beating? Is your stomach tight? Do you feel what is happening? So starting to help people get into their direct experience to understand what's going on. So when someone says, what are you feeling? They don't say, they don't shrug and say, I don't know. They could say, I'm having this image of my mom chasing my father with the knife. And that really scares me. And they could have some, and then you're like, oh, you're having a real, something is really happening here. So you're not feeling, you just, you're being, you know, hit by stuff and you don't even know how to verbalize it. It just gives dialogue and language to experience when people often just go, I don't know, because they haven't learned to scan the body, the mind, the emotions and figure out what's going on. Wow. That is awesome. Very clear framework. I love the steps and it's uh, very clear how that would help you come together, really understand what's going on and then move forward. So I love that. There's tons of be present, accept and build and a lot of let go and play too. And there are other steps too, but those are the first four. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm jumping the gun here, please. Oh, there's more. Let's keep going. So the uh, next step, or and these at this point, they can start. They can move around, but you have to be aware of these different. We'll call them building blocks of connection areas where you actually need to have some profic- proficiency. But one of the steps is how you've been impacted by your past. And I worked with many people, and I asked them how you know what was your childhood like. Oh, it was great. <laughs> Big red flag. Maybe a big red flag. And yeah, there are people with great childhoods, but there's also a lot of people who didn't have great childhoods and they don't know it because that memory has been pushed away. And I I can think of a, a particular situation where I was in a parking lot and there was a mother and a little boy who was, let's say he was four, he was little, and she was screaming at the top of her lungs at him and he was wailing. And I just thought, oh God, this poor kid. So what's going to happen to him when he's older, when he's trying to have a relationship? Where are, what's, where, what will he have done with his feelings? He might not have any feelings by then. He might've got rid of them. Not safe to have feelings. I wail and my mom just screams at me. I mean, who knows what his story would have been. But I call these survival um, skills, survival strategies. So if you're an adult and when you feel uh, a certain way, you might act a certain way because you learned how to do that to survive as a kid. But you don't, there's no link. You don't know, oh, I'm doing that because I learned that as a kid because whenever I had a feeling that I got slapped or whatever. So you, so unpacking the impact of the past can have a huge, it can really help people understand, oh, that's why I do this. And I don't have to do it this way. There are better ways of responding, wow. of being. That, that is so good. And again, awareness and that presence and observation is the first step because you can't let go of something you're not aware of. And that's a big one. I imagine that's, does that take a lot of work sometimes to get that out of people? Well, it's really, yeah, because you can't just rip someone open. You have to slowly build a relationship and start understanding who they are and start opening little doorways and having them start going, oh, or little lights go on. And eventually more and more opens and they get a clear picture of who they were, what they experienced, how it impacted them and what they're still carrying around that doesn't work. 
And we could yeah. keep going, but that's the basic, that's the basic. I mean, there's, you go deeper and you refine and refine as you go on and you do more connecting of the surface feeling, what's under it. How does it affect your cycle? Changing and learning how to communicate differently because you become more aware of the nuances of your experience. Wow. Okay. That's huge. And I love the framework. Again, I think it's very thorough and again, really tying into the relationship piece, but also just being able to to function and, and move forward with confidence and, and feeling good about yourself. So I think yeah. there's a, a ton of value there. And obviously that is high level. And I'm sure there's a lot more that goes into each one of those steps, but thank yeah. you for yeah. sharing that. Yeah. We would love for us to all just be experts, right, at this relationship and life thing. And the truth is, especially in relationships, I'll take that angle because that's kind of what we're discussing here. But there is trauma that happens. There are mistakes that are made and, and trust is lost. And I know that's another area of expertise for you is actually rebuilding trust and intimacy in your relationship after there's been an event or betrayal or, or some kind of loss of trust. And so I'd love for you to, to dive a little deeper into that and help us understand how we can do that. Many kinds of betrayal. One of the common ones, of course, of course, is infidelity, but there are many kinds of betrayal, emotional betrayals, just different kinds. So when you have two people and there's been a, a big betrayal, and we'll use infidelity in this example, okay. you, the party who who we'll call the perpetrator, just for lack of a better word, the perpetrator needs to be able to have empathy and not just, I'm sorry, I did that, but my heart is breaking because I broke your heart. A very deep level of, oh, wow, I really hurt you. And that hurts me. They have to be able to get to that level of empathy. Often, the person who cheated or was the perpetrator, however we want to call it, is um, defensive. And that's a roadblock. You'll, you won't get anywhere. It's not possible. So that's the first thing that has to happen. And just real quick on that note, it's that looking inward that is preventing any progress from happening. And I, I love that you pointed that out because that level of empathy, that level of looking outward is incredibly humbling. And I would say very rare even. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's hard. People don't get there right away generally. There's a lot of shame when you've hurt someone. It's shameful. And there's a lot of defensiveness. People don't want to feel shame. They'll, it was your fault. I mean, people throw the blame around because who wants to feel shame? And it's a hard, it's the hardest feeling. So, yeah. So then you, so then the next thing, the person who was betrayed, they're not going to forgive right away, but they would need to have it as a goal. I would like to trust you again. I would like to forgive you someday. Obviously it's not going to happen in three seconds, but it has to be a goal. If they have no intention of ever forgiving or wanting to trust this person again, that's also a game stopper. There's nowhere to get. So there's those two big pieces eventually, and this is way down the line. You have to look at the dynamics of the relationship that allowed this to occur. Because I can think of a relationship I had years ago where my boyfriend cheated on me and I just wasn't tuned in enough to, I wasn't tuned in enough. Had I been, I might've said, this guy really isn't fully there for me and I need to get rid of him. But I wasn't tuned in. I was young. And so really knowing 
that there's always a, a whole picture. It's not, I mean, someone might have an addiction, a sexual addiction that could cause it, but generally both parties have a role, but you can't get to that till way later because first you have to deal with the injury and rebuilding trust. You kind of alluded to this and I just want to clarify, obviously infidelity, there's a whole spectrum there of what that could mean. And on one end, you have the act of going out and, and cheating on your significant other. And somewhere in between, there's probably online activities. Catching a, a partner viewing pornography, for example, could have a huge impact depending on, on their perspective. Is it, is it the same process even at those earlier stages if there's that loss of trust or betrayal? I think it is. I mean, obviously different people have different tolerances for many different things and different people have different wounds. And for some people, the partner using pornography is a non-issue and for other people, it's devastating. But regardless, if there is a wounded party who feels betrayed, the process has to be what I outlined earlier, because okay. that person needs to know that it won't happen again that their feelings are valued, that they can, that the, that they won't ever have to, yeah, nobody wants to go through trauma more than once. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Okay, thank you for those, yeah. those clarifying points. Uh, it's just to be aware that uh, infidelity and betrayal is a tsunami in the relationship and you will have a new relationship. You will not be able to keep the same relationship if you repair it. You actually have to create a whole new relationship because the old one is over. And it, and in it, that way, it can be good because you can end up with something that was is much better than what you started with. But it's not an easy process at all. Wow, and that's the ultimate let go in play, in my opinion, because that is. And we've chatted about this earlier in the conversation. That's going to be really hard to not hold on to what you had and to just kind of start over clean. But that's a very important part of the process. You mentioned something earlier. And that I thought was um, interesting about needing to, and, and you might have to remind me the wording here, but kind of your new identity as a couple versus your identity as an individual. And is that a fair way of putting it? That, that yeah. when you come together, you figure out what your new identity is as a couple rather? I would just but, say that when you take two individuals and they, let's suppose we're formed and we have ideas about ourselves and our lives and you put them together that so in that context you do have to figure out what who are we as a couple this is a little different than what i'm talking about repairing infidelity because in that case the relationship and the ways you were is over because it allowed something to happen when you mentioned it earlier i was thinking when my wife and i got married it was funny because as a single person you make friends and you're just factoring in how you and that individual gel but then after you get married and you're trying to make friends it kind of creates this whole new dynamic and you have to think through okay us as a couple now are going to gel very differently than i did as an individual with certain people and so i just thought that was a a good thing to keep in mind. For, yeah. Well, I think to have a healthy relationship, you have to work out of like, I have friends that are, my husband knows them, but he's not really friends with them the way I are. And he has friends that I know, but I don't, I'm not really close to them the way he is. And then we have friends that we know together that work. And that's just part of, there's no, what is it? The Venn diagram with the overlap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And different people have different overlaps according to what they need. And you do run into a problem if one wants a complete overlap and the other one wants the circle to very, barely touch. Right. But 
But that's that's part of figuring out how to be a couple, how to be the specific couple that you are to the best ability. Yeah. Wow. That is awesome. You've shared so many good nuggets and I'm just so grateful for your expertise. And I would love to know in your experience, again, you've had a lot of experience, you've worked with a lot of people. What's like, what's been the, the best victory, I guess, for a couple that's come and worked with you, or maybe that's come from the most dire circumstance and then had a big win. I don't know if you have any stories like that off the top of your head you could share. I would say my relationship is the best victory because my first marriage was extremely difficult and I'm in my second marriage. And we did enormous, I mean, we had the first six months is generally bliss, which it was. And then you start hitting the, the problems. And we did some therapy together. I think we, I did every other week for a year or two with him. But I was writing Week in South, so I was learning a lot. And I was writing and he was reading and editing. And we had a lot to talk about because of that process. And it enabled us to really work through, understand each other, work through huge like differences. Like I, I understand why he reacts the way he reacts sometimes because of the conversations we've had. And he understands why I get upset the way I, so there's a much, it's like the weaving of the two cloth, the two cloths get woven together with understanding and story and ability to, to connect in a deep whole, deep way where both people, their whole selves are coming in. And that's, I'm just using me for an example because I think we have a particularly good relationship. And so that's why I'm bringing that up. I, I like to uh, brag about my marriage as well when I get the chance to, so that's awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing all of these wonderful concepts with our listeners. And we're so excited to, uh, to share this. Before we get to our last question, the pro tip that they can take and apply, I just want to know if our listeners want more Jennifer, they want, they want to learn more about what you're doing, where do we send them? So if you go to weconcile.com, W-E-C-O-N-C-I-L-E, like reconcile, but reconcile. That's nice. the website. I have a blog with a lot of articles on relationship in different subjects I also have jenniferlearmft.com where I do more personal writing. I have a free quiz, a relationship quality quiz, weconcile.com slash quiz. I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Weconcile. Those are, yeah, that's probably the best way to. That is awesome. Okay, so you heard it here. She's got a free quiz, so make sure you go check that out. We'll put it in the show notes, the link for that, so you can go. And, and again, for this quiz, what are they learning about themselves when they take this? It's just 10 questions. So I made it short, but they're going to learn how they score in a couple of different areas, including hope about the relationship, sexuality, conflict, understanding of each other, blah, blah. There's like, I think six, probably six categories. I'm not sure. And yeah. And so then they get actually a score that says, okay, (laughs) you're doing good or okay. You better jump on this before it's too late. So yeah. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> that sounds very valuable. Thank you so much for, yeah. for offering that to our listeners. And, and again, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us. Now for the last question, what is one pro tip for applying and developing the skill of happiness that you would share with our audience? Oh my, there's so many tips. So I'm going to, this is an odd tip, but I'm going to throw it in there Good. because it seems disconnected, but it's not. So I've practiced yoga for how many years? 
more approaching 30 years now, which is a long time. And what it taught me, you're on the mat and that's your little universe. And you notice, oh, I don't like this isn't fun or that person's doing it better than me or, (laughs) oh, I don't like that teacher. She's yeah, yeah, yeah. And you start witnessing a lot of yourself because you're stuck in this spot. And it's a really good way to to develop present-centered awareness, which you need if you're working on a relationship. Now, I could give other tips. That's a very sort of general how to develop present-centered awareness, but it's a really good one, a good method to do that. In terms of relationships, you want, if you're not curious about your partner, you want to look at the blocks to your curiosity. So your partner's upset, and you're mad at them for being upset. Can you be curious? Why are they upset? And why do I not want to be curious about this? What's going on? So that would be a good thing to just take as self-inquiry. Wow. What a great question to ask. That is huge. And that applies to couples, but also if you're on a date with someone, I'm assuming that applies as well there. Yep. Yeah. That is awesome. Jennifer, thank you so much. Uh, You've been so gracious with your your time and your knowledge, and we are so enlightened and better off for having had you uh, with us. So thank you so much. Wow, that is good stuff. Whether you are in a relationship or marriage or you're in the dating scene and you're just trying to find out how to connect with people, Today's show armed you with a lot of very concrete applications of play theory in relational settings. So I hope that this week you will move forward, that you will become introspective. And remember the pro tip that she shared to be curious about your partner. And again, that applies in friendships as well as relationships. So take that one to the bank. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Happiness Playbook. Remember to look outward, to let go and play of the small stuff and accept and build upon the hardships and become a better you and to build a better relationship. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, I just wanted to remind you that happiness is a skill and life is a team sport. And we are so glad to be on your team. Catch you next week.